You are listening to the Order Transmissions Episode 37. And now, here are Craig and Jeff. She came from Greece. She had a thirst for knowledge. She studied sculpture at St. Martin's College. That's where I caught her eye. She told me that her dad was loaded. I said, in that case, I'll have a rum and Coca-Cola. She said, fine. And in 30 seconds' time, she said, I want to live like common people. I want to do whatever common people do. I want to sleep with common people. I want to sleep with common people. Welcome back to the Tricorder Transmissions. We are back with another episode, as always. We are your hosts, Jeff Hewlett. And Craig Cohen. And Craig, we are back this week with the second MUD episode in the original series, second and last, actually, entitled I Mud. Yeah, until the animated series. Yes, yes, until the animated series where we see Mr. Mud uh, one more time. And who knows, maybe they will add Mud into one of the JJ Universe movies in the future. You know what? I can't believe they haven't because the comedic potential of that character totally plays to today's audiences absolutely always seem to need regardless of the movie unless it's a real real hardcore drama seems to need that comedic character so absolutely uh, yeah it it would be cool if they fit if if they fit him in yeah i can't imagine that they won't because i think at the end of of into darkness they left it as the five-year mission is now beginning so the the door is wide open for characters like mud to show up and i can't believe that they won't at some point Fingers crossed for Jack Black. You know, that's a great idea. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Nice. Well played, sir. Oh, thank you. Well thank played. You. So as always, uh, we have some Star Trek news that we'll, we'll quickly run through for you out there in listener land. First up is our beloved Leonard Nimoy is going to be accepting a 2014 Governor's Award. And this comes from uh, the Boston chapter of the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences. Oh, nice. Yeah. uh, And uh, Nimoy is a native of Boston, so it kind of makes sense. And he began his performing career there. So they're honoring him with this Governor's Award, which is described as a special award, which is given in recognition of achievements that don't fall within the structure of the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences regular awards. I'm not quite sure what that means. Kind of ambiguous. Hey, whatever it takes to get another award in his hands is cool with me. I completely agree with you. And uh, I think it's going to be held on June 7th at an award ceremony. Okay, very cool. So, yeah. And uh, another thing, and this is kind of on a personal level, the – William Shatner's Shatner's World in movie theaters is set to debut tomorrow. So by the time this episode airs, it will be passed. But I'm going to mention it anyway. It is actually playing in a theater five minutes from my apartment. So uh, and that's tomorrow night at 730. The Fathom event will be playing. Yeah, and if I didn't have something uh, to do at the time that it started, I would definitely go see this. Even though I did see the show when it was on Broadway, I would I, I would uh, love to see it with uh, full camera coverage. I heard Shatner on one of the many podcasts he did this week. I know you listened to him on The Nerdist. Yes. Um, he also did Talk is Jericho, which is a, a podcast that professional wrestler, singer, actor, author Chris Jericho does. <laughs> and uh, on that, Shatner actually talked a little bit about it was uh, two different performances that they filmed. And he said they had like six cameras um, covering it. So uh, it seems like it's going to be a a pretty good um, representation of his show. And I assume that a couple months down the road, maybe in time for the holidays, um, this will be available on a DVD and Blu-ray. Oh, I can't imagine with with Shatner's penchant for uh, advertising and promotion and pushing out product. I can't see them not putting this out on some sort of DVD or or Blu-ray release. But while we're talking about this, I do want to mention, because you just talked about the Jericho podcast, I do want to talk for a minute about Shatner's appearance on Chris Hardwick's Nerdist.com podcast. And I, I cannot recommend listening to this podcast enough 
to any Star Trek or Shatner fan out there, although he really doesn't talk much about Star Trek at all. This the conversation between Hardwick and Shatner on uh, life related topics, just general things is just brilliant and funny. A lot of great jokes, a lot of good humor in there, and it's just a great showcase for Shatner's personality. So if you like Shatner, I I can't recommend this enough. I enjoyed it immensely, and I'm probably going to listen to it a second time just to see if there's anything that I I missed and didn't pick up on. So it fits in very well with the, uh, the tone of the Shatner's world show itself. So if you kind of want an extension of Shatner's world or you want something else that uh, that kind of gives you a little preview of what it's like before you go see it, definitely check out the Nerdist.com podcast. Yeah, and that's the cool thing about podcasts like that. You know, you have your you, your Nerdist podcast where they do interviews and your WTFs with, with Mark Marin, mm-hmm. and, you know, there's dozens, hundreds of other ones by, you know, entertainers. Um, but the amazing thing about these is they'll sit down with somebody and, you know, on most talk shows, you get six minutes with that person. The Talk is Jericho interview is probably after you take out all of Jericho's stuff that he wraps around it, it's probably 50 minutes long. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, how often have you heard, um, aside from this one-man show, um, Shatner just sick, sitting down and talking for 50 minutes? Exactly. And one of the great things about podcasts and new media in general is that versus the traditional media is that a lot of these kind of go off script they're not pre-planned for the most part i mean they have a loose idea most of the time the the celebrities are just coming on to plug something and just wind up talking about anything and everything stuff you probably would never hear them discuss on network television or uh, you know 24-hour news channel they appeared on one of those programs so this is there it's a great great opportunity to experience a lot of these celebrities that you adore or even remotely like in a more personal setting oh definitely and when you get somebody like shatner who has done an interview show show of his own um he's able to you know have uh what feels like a real conversation there's a portion in the jericho interview where he starts asking chris about how he became a professional wrestler oh that's awesome yeah he almost like you know flipped it and turned it into an interview of jericho which jericho got right back on track pretty quick but that's the kind of stuff that's really cool where it really feels like these are two people that are having a conversation and oh a mic happens to be there and oh one of them has something to promote (laughs) exactly i think you summed it up perfectly perfectly so it sounds like both of these podcasts that came out this week are well worth listening to if you're a star trek and or shatner fan yeah as long as you don't um forsake listening to our show of course uh, instead of those well make sure there's time for everything yeah finish this episode first (laughs) then go seek those other podcasts out pretend we didn't mention it until the end yes so one more quick news bite and i apologize because this is kind of breaking format as this is not original series related but i'm a technology buff and i i love everything technology really i follow tech news and this is sort of a, a cross section between modern tech and star trek so there's a device that has been in testing that was actually a kickstarter uh, called the oculus rift i don't know if you've ever heard of that craig I might be confused with that company Facebook bought recently. It's the same. One in the same. One in the same. Okay. So for anybody out there who does not know what an Oculus Rift is, it is a virtual reality device that is touted as the best virtual reality goggle set that has ever been created to date. So the latency between the motion of your head and the, the image you see in front of you is almost indistinguishable so there is no where the old devices had this lag time and kind of gave you a disjointed view this thing is supposed to be absolutely perfect and what does that have to do with star trek well not much but a dedicated star trek fan created a virtual reality environment for use with the oculus rift which allows you to explore the starship voyager's bridge Oh, in a 360 degree wraparound virtual reality with all sorts of awesome computer consoles that you can mess around with. It's really, really awesome. And there's a video on YouTube. If you look up, uh, we'll have it in the show notes, but you can also look up Star Trek Voyager, the bridge demo on Oculus Rift. And it's really, really neat. It looks so realistic. 
I would love to seek one of these devices out just to check this out. Oh, wow. That sounds awesome. Yeah, and I'm imagining that somebody, after seeing this, someone's going to do the original series Enterprise Bridge. And possibly, I'm sure, some of the other upgraded versions, the Enterprise, the other Enterprises from the films and maybe Next Gen. So I'm sure this is not the end of this. And as technology advances further and these guys have more time to build these environments, I would not be surprised to see somebody do a full workup of a tourable Enterprise via these goggles. Yeah, I was just going to say that. I mean, I'd love where you'd be able to exit the bridge, you know, go down a turbo lift and uh, get off on a, whatever deck you want and just, you know, peek through whatever door you could, you know, you, you, you care to. Yeah, I, that that will happen. I'm going to say it. There's, it's going to happen one day. And I'm hopefully I will be there to put those goggles on and experience that firsthand. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. So you ready to jump into the episode, some air dates in the synopsis? Yes, sir. All right. So iMud aired on November 3rd of 1967. The remaster aired on October 14th of 2006. All right. And I have a very quick snippet from the NBC press release of October 13th, 1967. The Enterprise crew finds itself at the mercy of an Earthling who's ru- who rules a colony of female androids in iMud on NBC television network Star Trek Colorcast of Friday, November 3rd. All right. And with that, we will start our scene-specific commentary in 3, 2, 1. So the cool thing about this episode from everything I've read is that they knew they wanted to revisit this mud character. Hmm. So uh, that's pretty neat that, you know, when they introduced the character, they knew they were eventually going to bring him back, which I think is pretty neat. And, you know, it, it uh, you know, took them however long to, to make it happen. It was, you know, a matter of clearing everybody's schedules and whatnot. Uh, but I thought that was cool. Yeah, um, that was pretty awesome. I love this interaction between, um, McCoy and Spock, where McCoy notes how this new crew member um, basically acts like a Vulcan. Yeah. <laughs> and if Spock could be offended, he would be. Um, but it's cool how McCoy notices that he sort of insulted Spock and uh, basically attempts to apologize. Yeah, and he actually kind of gets a little bit of ire from Spock here with a, um, you know, McCoy is kind of telling Spock that he can't he can't figure this guy out and uh he he needs to do a physical exam but he can't seem to get it done and spock says he's probably terrified by your beads and rattles <laughs> so kind now of that, a trademark exchange yeah yeah now that made me question um how this guy uh or how this you know norman integrated himself uh, into the crew. Yeah, I was wondering that myself. And, you know, you find out later why he's there. Yeah. But you, you don't really get an explanation as to how he worked his way onto the ship or how he got into... I, you would have to be on some kind of a Starfleet registry, right, to serve on a ship, but you would imagine. I would think, yeah. Yeah, and, and Spock, out of 430 people, Spock knew exactly who that guy was. Yeah. He called him Mr. Norman. He knew exactly who he was. So that means Spock knows the entire crew's roster off the top of his head? That doesn't surprise me. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> but also, I mean, if that guy's been on board, what, two weeks, um, he's feasibly the, the freshest crew member there. Yeah, you might think. Yeah. 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 So we got a little issue going on here. And uh, he's calling Spock up to the bridge. I love how Kirk's in the dress uniform again. Yeah, that seems to be like a, a season two thing that I never really picked up on because I, I I don't think I've ever really watched this series from front to back. Um, a lot of it was, you know, whatever episode I would catch on syndication and, um, you know, whatever else, you know, if, you know, I popped in a, you know, a VHS I had taped off a TV or something. So uh, that's one of the interesting things about watching this in um you know, air date order is you, you notice things like that. And, uh, it almost isn't right to call that like a dress uniform anymore. No. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. And we, we got another kind of a staple Trek moment there where, you know, Sulu sees there's something wrong. Kirk says, correct it. And he can't, and Sulu says he can't. Yeah. How many times does that trope get used? Yeah. And, you know, and Kirk is now calling down to another area of the Enterprise that we've never heard of before, 
called the emergency manual monitor. Yeah. You know, and I'm not even sure exactly what that means. Yeah. Great stunt double here, by the way. Oh, I was going to point. Yeah. (laughs) Another obvious stunt double. He looks kind of like Norman. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. And he's just manhandling all of these engineers. I guess these are these are not security guys. Yeah, yeah. I actually like the um how obvious they sort of make Norman's movements here where if you're really paying attention, I guess, or if you're you're keyed into the title of the episode, which is you know, I, I didn't research this, but I I guess it was a play on um iRobot. Yes. Um you know, I'd assume a lot of viewers probably assume that he was a robot. Uh, or an android uh, right out of the gate. And I think some of his movements really, really um, sell that. Yes, they do. And this this moment here really sells it too, where he grabs a hold of Kirk. And Kirk, you, you don't see that the guy is, has some kind of crazy strength, but you see Kirk rubbing his arm as if the grasp hurt. Yeah. And Kirk is, I, I, I hesitate to say it's uncharacteristic because it's becoming characteristic. He is extremely calm in the face of this intruder. Yeah. You know, the guy's pretty much hijacked the ship and Kirk is not, he's not yelling at him. He's not immediately calling security. He's not trying to punch the guy or detain him or anything. He's just kind of, well, okay. Yeah. Well, it almost seems like the real way to get Kirk rattled when you take over his ship is to be uh, a higher ranking Starfleet official. Yeah. You know, that's a pretty good observation. (laughs) So we're getting the setup now that this this guy is not uh, is not a threat to human life, but he's saying he's referring to himself as we. So we're yeah. implying that there is there are more than one of who or whatever he is. And here we're going to get one of the most obvious remastered effects. Yeah, look at that, man. That is it's cool looking, but it's, it's wonderful. Very, very obviously a remastered effect. Yeah, I mean it's you know the same effect of like when they added you know the digital. Um, you know, uh, numbers in, instead of the analog, you know, you know, uh, numbers on a view screen or something. Exactly. And dare um, I say, this may be the return of the really good stinger. Yeah. You know, it, you know, it's funny. I was, uh, as we were talking here, I was like, did we hit the, the opening titles already? I couldn't remember because it's such an extended, um, you know, uh, opening sequence. I, I think what we're what six minutes in. Yeah, it's kind of a long one. And well, you know, it, we've seen so many times in the past where this the in the '60s when these shows aired, they had the trailers for next week's episode, and that trailer pretty much spoiled the entire episode. So I I, I hesitate to say that people who are watching this show had to wait to see I mud <laughs> pop up on the screen to understand that mud was going to be in the episode. Really? Yeah. You know, yeah. So you can almost forgive the fact that he's not in the uh, stinger and you kind of the wait, but you, you know, he's coming because if you watch the trailer from the week before he's all over it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One note related to uh, introducing mud um, earlier versions of the script had them in route to the planet for a much longer period of time. And one of the directives that came down in the script notes was to uh, to get them there uh, by the end of Act One. Hmm. That's actually probably a really good thing because yeah. they, they stipulate here that it's going to take about what are they, four solar days yeah. uh-huh. to get from where they are to wherever they're going. And you really don't want to watch them <laughs> – Mess around on a ship they can't control for an extended period of time. It would kind of be pointless. Yeah, and I love this here. Yeah, Spock mind-melding and finding nothing. that the guy's off. Yeah, he's getting nothing, which is which is great. That's pretty cool. So I'm going to say this again, and I said this previously in other episodes that featured androids. Yeah. Once again, in the original series... We are seeing androids that look far more realistic than data from the next generation. Why do androids in the original series look like humans and data has to look like a plastic android? Yeah. Well, I would almost guess, and this is pure speculation based on what I've observed, is that the trade-off between um, looking human and looking like an android – 
um, is pretty much to ensure that you can't just um, confuse data. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, uh, in the, in this series, um, all of the androids seem to get confused, you know, rather easily. You, you, and, you know what? I yeah. think you're really on to something there because that's something that I didn't think about. Maybe since since uh, data was more or less designed to do what he's doing, maybe they they kind of came up with the idea like, listen, we've experienced all of these androids who looked exactly like people and people were not able to always distinguish them from androids. So we better make data look easily distinguishable as an android. So if you see him walking down the hallway, there's no doubt in your mind that's a robot. Yeah. But with this guy like Norman here, you see him walking down the hallway, you think, oh, it's just some dude. Mm-hmm. You know, they couldn't tell. So maybe they learned their lesson in the original series and intentionally made Data look like that. Yeah. And boom, here we get uh, a, a pretty classic beam down. I mean, we're only missing, what, Sulu and uh, Scotty. Scotty, there. yep. But, I mean, that's a that's a pretty uh, core, um, you know, team to, uh, to beam down. Yeah. You know, I, I was thinking to myself – about this look at the way that door opens that's so cool it's like a digital the diagonal slice in the middle it doesn't it's not just two halves they kind of slide the, the diagonally apart but at any rate oh here's the entrance of harry mudd by the way yeah uh, the big reveal but what i was going to say real quick before was can you imagine you're george takai you're in the whole first season in the second season they bring in Chekhov, start throwing him on the away team and you don't get to go yeah. You know, why don't they leave Chekhov on the ship and bring Sulu? Sulu hasn't earned his stripes at this point. Yeah. You know, let him come down. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's a shame. So here we go. Harry Mudd is back and yes. he's drinking out of a goblet. <laughs> oh. you yeah, know, he's he's pretty much, isn't he referred to, um, not as a king, but... Um, Lord Harry Mudd yeah. the first. yeah. He's pretty much set himself up here to be, uh, you know, the ruler. Yeah. And once again, I mean, Kirk seems uh, uncharacteristically calm. Yeah. I think that's almost I don't want to call it arrogance, but I, I think it's Kirk's faith in himself. Sure. That he's the smartest guy in the room. Spock accepted. <laughs> um, or that between him and Spock. They'll really be able to outthink um, anybody they encounter. Well, especially they've already they've already outsmarted Mud once. Yeah. But then again, I mean, Mud really wasn't doing all that much last time, besides being a snake oil salesman. I mean, it wasn't he wasn't really that big of a threat. Agreed. Going in, so I, I think that. Uh, oh, by the way, I, we we kind of skipped over. Uh, something here that I just wanted to mention because this is the first time we've heard this mentioned before. The Norman, I believe, mentioned that the planet that they're on is considered a Class K planet. Oh, we've heard of Class M's, which are uh, livable and breathable and capable of sustaining human life. But Norman defines a Class K planet as adaptable to human life by using pressure domes and life support systems. Okay. So I guess they can install life support areas of the planet and inhabit it that way. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily hostile to human life. uh, Yeah. It's adaptable. That's cool. So I figured point that one out. Um, We've got our, our, uh, our Android females here. Mm -hmm. Um, What there's models uh, one through two fifty. Played by Elise uh, uh, Andressi, and then uh, models two fifty one through five hundred, played by her twin sister uh, Rhea Andressi. Um, pretty neat. Um, so, anytime you see this model, it's uh, one of the two um, doing the work. Uh, sadly, they both passed away. Um, oh. Elise in uh, two thousand five, and uh, Ray in uh, two thousand nine, and. In addition to the limited acting work they they did, they were also in a late 60s jazz uh, band called The Sound of Feeling. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. But I'm sure um, even with the uh, the twins they used on set, it still makes for a lot of, at the time, um, very complex, um, you know, shots that they had to uh, to, you know, work through. Yeah, especially when you see more than two of them. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, and we're going to get some of that um, at the end of the episode when there isn't a twin in play when we see uh, what uh, Mud's uh, wife. Yes, that's very, very soon. Yeah, very, very soon. So I, I have to check into this and I, I must admit that I did not look into this yet because it requires a, a slight bit of research. But when they walked into the room and Kirk acknowledged Harry Mudd, Chekhov did not know who Mudd was. Yes, which sort of um, starts to explain when exactly Chekhov um, started on the Enterprise. Yes. Because um, as we know, in the movies, they sort of retconned that he was there for Space Seed. Yes. Um, but here, Chekhov clearly establishes that he has no idea who Mud is. Yes. Um, which does indicate that um, he couldn't have been on the ship. Well, I'm going to have to go back and look at the star dates of of the Mud's Women episode and the Space Seed episode. Mm-hmm. So uh, I haven't had a chance to do that yet. In fact, I should do that at some point so we can talk about it. Uh, but I'm wondering if um, if if in fact he was on the ship for uh, Space Seed, and the the star dates of uh, the Mud episode were after that. So let's see here. Mud's Mud's women. The star dates for Mud's women are thirteen twenty nine point eight to thirteen thirty point one. And space oh space seed happened way after so we're we're okay. in the clear we're in the, we're clear. In the clear good space good, seed good. was thirty one forty one point nine to thirty one forty three point three so we're, right. we're in the clear it Chekhov is off the hook yeah I was gonna say for the amount of time that this episode covers you know we had just the four day period where they were in route um, that's not something that I think uh, Chekhov would forget yeah I would hope not yeah I would hope not or actually no what am I talking about um. Yeah. Oh, God, I just made a complete fool of myself. Ha, that's uh, OK. It's not the first or last time either one of us will do that. So it's that's all what good. happens when you sit down and you just start watching an episode and talking live. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so there are a couple of nods here in this exchange to the original Mud's Women episode. Mm-hmm. You know, Kirk mentions the incident on the mining colony, which is where they dropped off those women to be the wives of those horrible miners. Yes. <laughs> and uh, Mud Mud jokingly said when he was talking about how he designed the templates for these android females that uh, he retained uh, retained his eye for beauty. Yeah. So which is another kind of wink wink nudge nudge to Mud's women where he turned these quote unquote ugly women into beautiful ravishing uh sex goddesses by the use of a magic pill. Yeah. And uh, both episodes had the same uh, principal writer, you know, uh, in Stephen Candell, who um, you know wrote these two episodes of Trek. He also worked on twelve episodes of Sea Hunt, um, some of the Batman series from '66 and '67, Mannix, Wonder Woman, Heart to Heart, and get this, seventeen episodes of MacGyver. Ah, MacGyver, that's a great one. Yeah, that's a and, great one. And here we have uh, Mud's wife. Boy, she is a tough-looking broad. Yes, Stella. 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 So another interesting thing that we were we were talking over was that, you know, we, we, we constantly point out in this series where they mention money. And yes. they just kind of did in a roundabout way. So, you know, Mud is – Kirk and Mud are talking about how uh, Mud was able to escape from the prison that he was in or the, the penalties that he was facing – from his previous crimes, and he was describing how he got into this business of selling patents that he didn't own. Uh-huh. So that means in the future, we're, we're still engaged with patenting things, patenting ideas and licensing them or selling them. I can't imagine because can you imagine how many uh, patents would be needed uh, just to get the Enterprise into uh, space? Yeah, and, um, and I'd imagine the patent trolls would be just going nuts with the amount of litigation they could start. Yeah, and the patent system itself flies in the face of the no money philosophy of we're we're too evolved. We don't have the need for that anymore. We do everything for the greater good. If you're doing everything for the greater good of humanity, why would you need to patent your idea to make sure nobody else used it without your consent? Yeah, unless it's sort of these, you know, I mean. This mission is sort of taking them to what 
the edges of, of areas that they've previously explored. So uh, these might be places that are outside the reach of Starfleet. Potentially. Of, yeah. But so Mud was selling Vulcan patents to uh, inhabitants of another planet without actually owning the patents himself. And this 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 civilization called the Vulcans up and said, hey, listen, man, we just bought your patent for this fuel system from this Harry Mud guy. And they're like, what? We didn't sell him the right to that. Yeah. And actually, uh, Vulcan um, is actually part of the Federation of Planets. So, yeah, I don't know. This whole patent thing is kind of problematic. It is kind of weird. But that's okay. <laughs> and another really interesting thing about that is during that same discussion, Spock was able to rattle off the penalty for doing that, committing that crime on that other planet. Not Earth, not Vulcan, but on this other planet that Mud was selling the stuff to. Spock knows the legal penalties for crimes on that planet. That's darn impressive is that amazing i mean what 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 does spock not know yeah that's like a boss move can you imagine so anyway back to the show yes (laughs) so we're we're kind of we're we're in a little lounge type room here doesn't look all that comfortable to me yeah and they're coming to terms with the fact that they're in a, a pretty dire situation yeah so it appears that the androids kind of have them pretty much under control and they're they're going to all kind of break apart and try to do some research here and figure out the lay of the land. And, you know, Spock has moved it into this room where we're actually finally seeing some other male android versions. Yeah. So up until now, we've seen Norm and they're in these weird white yoga pants. Yeah, it's almost like uh, Logan's Run. Uh, oh yeah, good. Almost call. seems like Logan Run. Logan's Run might have been inspired by uh, by some of the uh, the design here. Yeah, yeah. And oh, just on another side note, that um, these androids were created by quote unquote the makers, who came from somewhere near Andromeda, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So once again, you know, another phantom alien force that is now dead or extinct for some reason or another created this race of autonomous intelligent androids yeah supposedly for no other reason at this point (laughs) than to serve other races yeah and make everybody happy wow mud's got a hell of a chest hair sweater man yeah look it's it's creeping up onto his neck (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wow. I wonder where he decided to uh, stop shaving. Yeah, I don't know. That's crazy. And that, that, and that handlebar curly mustache is spectacular. Yeah. And we, and we talked about uh, Roger Carmel um, last episode. Um, this is a great, great actor. Sadly, no longer with us. Yeah, he's actually, I think Mud in this episode is far more fun than he was in Mud's Women. I think yeah. this episode really allows that character to shine. Oh, yeah, totally. And overall, this is probably one of the uh, funniest episodes of the series. Oh, sure. No, yeah. But yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this this I, I kind of have a nitpick at this particular scene. OK, because you see, I, I, none of the male characters here, none of the male Enterprise crew members are tempted by the thought of transferring their brains into an android body and being essentially immortal. But Ohura seems absolutely fascinated by the possibility because it would give her eternal beauty. Yeah. But who was really there? Was it just Kirk, Spock, and Uhura, or is Chekhov there? I think Chekhov was out in the throne room right now. We're going to see. Yeah. I think McCoy was there, too. Well, no, McCoy just came in. Oh, that's right. He just came in. But, well, so you had Spock, who lives to a couple hundred years, right? Yeah, about that. Yeah, so and, – and Kirk, who probably assumes that he, he's never going to die anyway. <laughs> and not even Mud, though. Oh, that's a good point. Mud hasn't transferred himself into an android body. You would think that would be the first thing he would have done. Yeah, give himself that boss-like strength. And, and now uh, he's, yeah, completely immortal and unstoppable. Yeah, but he could he, he could Corby out. He could Corby out. Good call. <laughs> good call. Hey, if you made me an Andrea, I'd take an android body in a minute. <laughs> I'll take it. Uh-huh. So, so now we're we're learning that they've slowly been beaming uh, all of the crew members on the Enterprise down to the planet 
Um, and they're basically gonna leave them there and take off with the Enterprise. Yes, and that got an emotional, physical reaction out of Kirk. Well, that's his ship, yeah. Right. Now he's choking Harry out. Well, now when he finds that Harry's messing with the crew and is essentially going to strand the crew on this planet as well, now he's kind of got a little more emotion behind it. Yeah. And this is also, this plot is really where this android population starts to feel um, from you know, being slightly like the Borg to almost being entirely like the Borg for me in the idea that they're going to basically go out and assimilate. Exactly. I was going to bring that up. And I thought out of all of the episodes of the original series, these androids would make the most plausible origin story for the Borg that I could think of. Yeah, you know, that's totally plausible. I mean, I, I can't believe that they wouldn't have mined this for the Borg. They've kind of tried to retcon the origin of the Borg a bunch of different ways. And and this seems to me like it would have been the absolute perfect because they don't really – they don't at the end of this, they don't destroy those androids. They're essentially yeah. deactivated and then reprogrammed. It would have been perfect to have them somehow fuse themselves with humans to create the quote-unquote perfect being, and that's where they came from. Yeah. But uh, missed opportunity. Yeah. Now Chekhov is going to mack the robot chips. Yeah, no missed opportunity for some comedy here. Oh, absolutely not. And uh, 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 Walter Koenig is really doing a a, a tremendous job here in terms of the the delivery of the lines, the the facial expressions he's making. Um, This is just a really great Chekhov moment for me. Definitely is. It's it's one of the the standard Chekhov moments that I think kind of hallmark his – role in the series but if you were watching this in air date order as we are the last episode which was cat's paw had that absolutely ridiculous poofy davy jones wig and here he is with what appears to be a much more normal haircut yeah so imagine the confusion i mean maybe he just missed five or six haircuts for cat's (laughs) paw and he got his hair trimmed sometime sometime between last week and this week yeah yeah yeah, and here's Scotty monkeying around in an, an engineering lab with a bunch of nondescript items. Yeah. I'm not sure what these things are supposed to be. It looks kind of like a drill press on yeah. its side, doesn't it? And, and they've got an interesting sort of, um, I guess, directive, the androids, where they'll basically answer any question you ask them because they really don't have any fear. Not that an android's going to feel fear, but they don't have any... Um, you know, uh, th- the thought that any of the information they could provide um, could help, you know, Kirk and crew um, work their way out of this, uh, it doesn't even cross their mind. No, is that they kind of, yeah, well, for the most part, there are some things that, that they will be asked where they will say, I'm not, uh, I'm not programmed to respond in this area. Yeah. So yeah, they'll avoid certain things. Yeah. But yeah, now Uhura is fantasizing about morta- immortality again. Yeah, and and that really, um, you know, sets up the uh, the scene later where I'm sure a lot of people gasped um, <laughs> the first time they saw it. Yeah, I was going to bring that when the scene comes. I was going to comment on that, but I, I think it's fan- this was another mini Kirk speech where he realizes that the crew is starting to get some of the crew members are starting to get used to the idea of living this paradisical life here with these androids just giving them anything and everything they want, including immortality. And Kirk is like, "Uh uh-uh, get your butt up. We're getting back to the ship. Stop lollygagging around. Be real. You know, we're not, we're not staying. Yeah. It's almost sort of like everybody, um, at a party being slightly drunk and (laughs) one person being sober. Yeah, kind of, kind of, sort of. Now, is it me? Is it me, or do these twin actresses do a fantastic job selling that they're androids? Oh yeah, it's phenomenal. I it, mean, it, the the down to the not just the speech, but the motions, the the eye movements, just the body language. Everything is great. Like, check out that. I mean, the 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 way she kind of rotates her head straight and has that stare as she's talking to Norman. Yeah. Through some sort of unseen communication device. It, it's it's really, really well done. Now, for the time period this show was made, I think 
You compare this to some of the stuff you see on TV today and the acting is not as good. Oh, I, I would agree. I, I would agree. Yeah. And, you know, uh, who knows why that is, you know? I don't know. And I, I think, honestly, I, I, I hate to sound like an old man, but I think a lot of the, the writing in popular shows today is not as good as the writing was back then. I don't think it's as intelligent. I feel like it's dumbed down a lot of times. Oh, it's definitely dumbed down. Yeah. It's definitely dumbed down. And that's because all entertainment for the most part nowadays is not made with specific audiences in mind. Um, it's made for as many audiences or as many people as they can get their eyes on, you know. True. Um, you know, it's, you know, whereas this show was pretty much really geared towards, uh, you know, sort adults, of the hard yeah. sci-fi crowd. And adults in yeah, general. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. the mature people. It wasn't really aimed at teenagers or when I mean, teenagers liked it. But yeah. they weren't aiming this to, they weren't aiming this towards the younger crowd. This was aimed towards the later evening, you know, after the kids go to bed TV watching crowd. Yeah. And I think that's why, uh, you know, they they ended up getting so many people advocating for them, um, you know, when it came time for this series to be renewed. Um because there were, you know, working sci-fi authors who maybe Roddenberry brought on board for that purpose, you know, say, sure. hey, let me get some of these hard sci-fi people on my side by by giving them a paycheck. Um, but, I mean, there were really no other choices at the time. If you were into hard sci-fi, um, there was nothing like this. No. So all you had was had, – you had your books. <laughs> yep. You had your books. Oh, and the androids – have now mutinied on mud. They're no longer taking orders from mud. Yeah, shocking turn of events. Yeah, so the plot twist has now arrived. So now we're going to get the transformation into the Borg-like androids. Although they're not talking about uh, killing humans, they're actually talking about taking care of us, Mm quote-unquote. Now, (laughs) this is... I was thinking a lot about this. So what they're proposing is that they're going to travel to other human uh, human inhabited planets, such as Earth and I guess some of the other outposts and potentially other races eventually. And they're going to give the humans everything that they want. And then the humans will become so dependent on the androids that the androids will be in complete and total control. Yeah. Now, why don't our political leaders think of doing that? (laughs) If they just gave everybody everything they wanted, nobody would have any problems. They could do whatever they want. It's such a perfect solution. Somebody would always have a problem, though. Nah, come (laughs) on, man. If they literally gave – there's enough money out there to give everybody everything they want pretty much. So I I don't understand why. This sounds like a perfect way to control a society. It's peaceful. Mm -hmm. Everybody's, you know, well fed. Everybody's taken care of medically. Everybody can kind of lounge around and, 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 you know, play World of Warcraft all day or whatever they want to do, watch TV. And the androids become our, uh, they do all the heavy lifting? Yeah. Yeah, you don't do anything. It's like, hey, Android, get me a sandwich. <laughs> hey, get, get me a Canada dry. Yeah. Uh... You know? And mud is kind of lounging there. Gotta love him. So now Mud is going to to try to get himself in with the the Enterprise crew here and, and change sides himself. Yeah, and I love the fact that Kirk calls him out on it immediately. Oh, sure. And McCoy does, too. Yeah. McCoy busts his balls immediately, too. He says, hey, weren't you just about to abandon us here, dude? Yeah, yeah. And Mud shuts right up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, hey, ooh, a little Spock insult. The pointy-eared thinking machine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, poor Spock. Yeah. He's a he's always the butt of people's jokes. <laughs> Although if it wasn't for Spock, they'd be dead a hundred times over. Yeah. Yeah. So Spock's gonna really help them get out of the situation as well. I mean, Kirk and Spock are really gonna figure this whole thing out. So, you know, yes. Spock's just figuring out now that Norman is the central point. Yeah, and it seems like Scotty helped him get there a little bit too. A bit. A um, bit. and it's I, I like how they sort of distinguished between robots and androids. Yes, yes, Android. So, yeah, robot, I guess, would be just kind of a, a an autonomous machine that would build things or fix things or prepare things or whatnot. An Android is actually a quote-unquote thinking or 
potentially sentient machine. Yeah. But what does that make Nomad? Hmm. I don't think Nomad was an android. Well, yeah, Nomad was, was really more of a... Well, I guess he was... I don't think he was really it, sentient, though. Yeah. He had a mission, and he was doing what he had to do to get there, but I don't necessarily think he was able to reason his way out of anything. Neither... Actually, these androids don't really seem to be able to do that either. Yeah, maybe he was an android trapped in a robot's body. Oh, see, now you're getting into a, a, a sci-fi <laughs> rough patch here. We, we could debate this. Um, so now... You know, Kirk, um, I'm sure loves coming to this conclusion that they are just going to um, confuse um, the androids. Mm -hmm. And and we've seen this uh, a couple times already where, you know, Kirk has, you know, talked a computer to death, um, you know, caused an android to to kill itself in in the case of, uh, you know, Andrea. so this really seems like it's completely uh, in Kirk's wheelhouse. I'm surprised oh, that is, definitely. He, uh, you know, at, you know when he he had all the trouble with Starfleet in the movies, why he didn't just go sort of on the uh, the lecture circuit and just teach people how to uh, you know destroy um, artificial intelligence. That's actually a really good side job for him. It, it could have been a lucrative speaking gig. I bet that's you know? his retirement plan. <laughs> yeah. That is his retirement plan. How to how to disable uh, artificial intelligence for fun and profit? Absolutely. <laughs> how to win friends and destroy androids? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so now they're oh, going to use um, mud um, unwittingly. Um, they're using mud as as bait, if you will. Yes. And and I love the android here, where you know Kirk says, "Hey, we've got a medical problem," and she's like, "Hey." That's your problem. That's not an android problem. That's a human problem. Yeah, you, you take, take care, care of them. <laughs> and, and Kirk plays it up pretty well, though. He says, listen, man, we don't have the proper medical devices here. We need we need the medical devices to get back onto the ship. Yeah. So, you know, this could be a, um, you know, this could be a ploy or this could be an actual escape attempt. We don't know yet. Yeah. We don't know if they're really think if they're really trying to get back to the ship. What would Kirk have done if they said, "Okay, we'll beam you up"? Oof, that Who would knows? have screwed the whole plan up. Yeah, and and here we get the uh, the uh, the Ohura setup uh, payoff. Yeah, this is spectacular because I I hadn't seen this episode in a long, long time, and yeah. when I saw this scene, I thought to myself, "Whoa, wait a minute." I couldn't remember if this was really uh, her turning on them or if this was a ploy. And I was glad that it turned out to be a ploy because I legitimately had forgotten. Yeah. So uh, really great job on it from Ahura because it really is confusing. Yeah. I mean, she did a great job of selling it. There wasn't a minute that I'd even now that I know it, there still isn't a minute that I doubt <laughs> Look at Mud sleeping in the background with his mouth hanging open. He does a great job of selling that, too. Oh, and Kirk practically picks Ahura up by her arms. Yeah, and and that's one of the things I like about this episode is we get um, some really great work from the the you know the the other crew. Um, yeah, the outside the Trinity crew. Yeah, yeah, the extra except for poor Sulu, he doesn't yeah. get to do squat. <laughs> they even brought Scotty down after the fact. Oh man, I feel poor poor George Takei. Yeah. Yeah. So um, now we're going to get some some high comedy here. Um, I don't know how high it is, but okay. <laughs> it's funny. It's some some great dancing and and for, fake music playing for Star Trek. This is pretty high comedy. I guess so. This is high as it gets. Yeah, and they're just basically going to start uh, contradicting themselves um, yep. in, in an effort to confuse. Um, these androids and and ultimately get them to realize that they've um you know they've they've messed up yeah kirk kirk is funny in this too i love how he's kind of had that 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 has that look on his face but so this is kind of the experiment this is the first attempt to see if they can effectively confuse these and and look at this mother of all backhands coming from uhura whack right here booyah Knocks poor Chekhov on his butt. Huge backhand. That was great. So 
it, the the androids obviously you're 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 seeing quite a bit of uh, confusion here, but not quite there yet. Yeah. So we got Chekhov doing some Russian dancing here that he almost can't pull off. See, he's he's, he's trying. <laughs> oh, it's great. Yeah. So now it's funny because the robots are the uh, robots. The androids are. It seems to be like they can't process things that are not logical, which is kind of strange to me that it, yeah, it, that simple illogic of that, that insipid of a nature would be enough to uh, deactivate them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that's, um, you know, where I was sort of going before with the whole data thing, whereas, you know, data would never fall for something like this. No. I so would I, hope not. I think that was, you know, at some point, you know, they really got their um, their AI in check, if you will. Yes. Um, but the trade-off might have been um, a more Android look. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you would think that who that the programmers of these things would have some sort of a some sort of a routine that would kind of make them recover from any sort of an error like that. Instead of having them just seize and lock up, they'd kind of reboot. Yeah, you'd think that. Yeah, and they just kind of take like a they'd be down for a couple of seconds and then they'd they'd come back up. Yeah. So hey, this episode has given me kind of a a, a, a cheap and easy cosplay idea for the Trek convention in uh, oh, late boy. July. Um, just one of these necklaces with a random number on it. That's a great idea. You know, um, I'm not sure you uh, how to pull off the uh, the light up function, uh, or if you even need to, or if you just get. You know, the right looking necklace with the uh, almost looks like an old style hotel key tag um, with a number on it. And, you know, I can be Craig number eight or something. Well, you know what I saw? I, I saw this a while ago. There was a a it was a themed alcoholic beverage. But in the themed alcoholic beverage, there was a plastic block that looked like an ice cube. But it had lights inside of it that flashed. Oh, right. Yes. I don't know where we saw that. Yeah, but if you could I... get your hands on one of them. You could stick some little, you know, stencil numbers on it, yeah, and make it into a little necklace, and there you go. Yeah, I think they sell um, a lot of the theme parks now. They'll sell a drink with a, a light up element. I can't. Maybe it was in Disney World that I saw it. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. That might be my uh, my solution uh, to to cosplay without really cosplaying. Hmm. Although I'd have to act like an android, I guess, to really, um, really sell it. You could probably pull that off. I, I, I'm glad you have faith in my acting ability. <laughs> I absolutely do. I absolutely do. Uh, so we're getting there. Mm -hmm. We're getting there. This is a, another interesting scene where Scott, look at Scotty and McCoy are acting like androids themselves. Yeah. I, I didn't really get why they were doing that, but I guess it's effective. Oh, yeah. It's it's almost working. They, so they can they seem to be able to deactivate the the uh, female androids pretty easily. But Norman himself is a, a little bit tough and tougher of a nut to crack. Yeah. So they bring Spock in for the uh, for the heavy lifting. Yes. <laughs> and it's kind of like bad poetry. He's kind of <laughs> uttering bad illogical poetry into yeah. Norman's ears. Your ears are green. And <laughs> it, this is Scotty's moment to shine. Where yeah. Scotty is going to pretend to die of essentially nothing, die of happiness. Yeah. And Norman, we haven't talked about. Um, that's actor no. Richard uh, Tatro, mm -hmm. who sadly died young in 1991 at the age of 52. Not a lot of acting credits, though. Um, probably most known for the TV series Branded. Huh. I, I don't think I've ever seen him in anything else. Yeah, I hadn't, and I was I was surprised to see that he really didn't do a lot of work. Hmm. I love this this scene where Kirk is grabbing Scotty and holding on to him. Yeah. And and kind of pretending that he's dead, and then they're laughing about it. And they just kind of toss him back on the floor. And Kirk puts his foot up on him. Yeah. <laughs> and this is great because you're seeing some of this sort of Shatner. Uh, 
you know, it almost yeah, seems like experience. Yeah, you see his stage, you know, training shining through here, you know, with the, you know, the exaggerated um, gestures. Yes, and he's projecting. Yeah, to, to basically play to the back of the room. Yeah, he's I have to admit, as much as I've seen other people who were stage actors do movies and television and sometimes it seems too much. In this particular instance, I think the stage stuff actually worked really well. Oh, yeah. You know, it really helped the scene quite a bit. So, uh, and <laughs> another great uh, ploy with Spock with this fake explosive. I guess it was supposed to be like plastic explosive. He's forming it into some sort of a ball. Yeah. And now they're going to play some sort of a, a catch game with it. And and Mud, Mud is going to do a really good job of being a baseball catcher. So I'm going to assume that means that baseball still exists. Yeah. Since Mud knows how to position himself like a baseball catcher. Yeah, America's pastime, I guess, uh, spreads throughout the galaxy. Mm-hmm. Oh, and does, does, does Scotty dying in this episode count as a death? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So I, I want to quickly mention this before we get too far past it, because this episode is significant for another reason. And that reason is that there is a quote. A McCoy quote in this episode that has lived on in uh, a pop song from the uh, I, be- well, I forget what what era it was in. I believe it was from the the late '80s. So there's a quote from McCoy that's already been passed, and it was, uh, "It's worked so far, but we're not out yet." And that quote was used in the Information Society song "Pure Energy." Ah, cool. So if if you ever listen to that, right at the beginning of the song, you'll hear a male voice say, it's worked so far, but we're not out yet. And that's pulled right from this episode. That's great. Yeah. So go back out and listen to that. It's on YouTube. Uh, it's out there. I might even post a link to it in the show notes so that you can grab it and, and listen to it yourself. So pretty so, cool. So maybe I could cosplay this too, the, uh, you know, the, the, the mind years. Yes. <laughs> I've seen you like that before. <laughs> After some of our bad, off some of our bad sessions at the poker tables in oh, Vegas. Oh man, yeah, totally. A little incredulous. Boom. Night, oh, look night, at that Norman. face. Yeah. Well done with the some very very tight pants. So <laughs> Spock is now surmising he's seen three or four uh, androids out of commission. He's extrapolating that all the other androids are now also immobilized. Yeah. So great stuff. So now we know we we've learned a lesson here that if we ever are faced with a machine that is somehow threatening our lives, all we have to do is be very illogical, yeah. and we'll be able to just deactivate that machine. Mm-hmm. So great, great stuff. Yeah, and now we get this is almost like the uh, comedy ending. Well, yeah, but also th- this is like I guess the comedy ending version of Space Seed. Where they're, you know, they're basically yeah. leaving uh, mud behind. Yeah, they're going to strand mud behind. Yeah. Which I, I, I could almost imagine like Harv Bennett, um, you know, digging through Star Trek, the original series uh, before making Wrath of Khan, you know, looking for inspiration and finding this episode instead of Space Seed. Yeah. And, and having like a demented, um, vengeful Harry Mudd. Harry Mudd, who, you know, who's been, you know, you know, beaten up verbally by his wife for 15 years. Yeah, with a, he'll, he'd have an entire ship full of his ex-wife. <laughs> <laughs> the entire comp, the company of the ship is 500 copies of his ex-wife. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Mud. Oh, ooh, that's a tough title. <laughs> uh, I think out of all of the Star Trek episodes, this is the funniest ending to an episode. I actually crack up laughing every time I watch this because it's so well done. Yeah. Because they set it up where, you know, Kirk tells that Harry Mudd that he's like, oh, we're, we're leaving you here on the planet with these androids. And, uh, you know, now Mudd's kind of going around saying, you know what? Maybe it's not so bad. I got all these hot chicks around me, the androids who I'm going to be able to, you know, stare at and, and maybe have my way with whatever for the rest of my life. Yeah. And I'm, I'm essentially free. I'm not really in jail. And then Kirk says, hey, guess what? I got a surprise for you. I got a, a special android of your very own. And he's a totally trolling him. Yeah. 
totally trolling him. And he's got this big cheese grin on his face. And Mud's yeah. like, thanks, buddy. That's the greatest. And then all of a sudden, here comes his freaking his wife. Storm it out, scream it at him. It's great. Yeah. And what are there? Uh, 500 of her? Yeah. And he can't shut her up. Yeah. So now he's like, wait a minute. Oh, no. Oh, no. And here comes copy number two. Yeah. And she's got the number two tag on. And and wait a minute. It's not done yet. <laughs> Poor Mud's pleading for his life. Yeah. And here comes number 500. <laughs> and we get the close-up of the 500. 500. Uh, now, I want you to look at something for me real quick. As they turn to leave... I want you to take a look at the gesture and the facial expression Uhura gives to Mud on her way out. Yeah, it's like the same one that Kirk gives. It's so great. Yeah. It's kind of like a real F you. Yeah. Kind of like, see you, Mud. (laughs) Yeah, like she does the same exact hand gesture that Kirk did. Uh, Peace out. I I love that. And I love this this final remastered effect. Oh, it's beautiful. The rings on that planet are excellent. And the Enterprise looks very, very... um, uh, yeah, it has a lot of depth there. You got um, the yellow light reflecting off the, the the metallic surface of the ship, which is really awesome. Yeah, wow, so, and, man, we blow right through these. Yeah, episodes. man, this is great. Yeah, yeah, we, so. we really uh, we really cruise on through. So, essential voting on yeah. this one. So, I mean, I flipped my hand on this episode when we talked about Muds Women. So, I, I'll just get it out of the way. As far as I'm concerned, this is. The definitive Harry Mudd episode, and I'm going to call it essential just because of that. Uh, I, I, I made Harry – I said that Mudd's Women was not essential because I didn't think it was the best use of Harry Mudd. This episode, I think, not only makes him a much better villain – he has a great villain role, especially in the first part of the episode uh, when he's the ruler of the androids. But it also is a much better comedic episode for him, which is what I think his character really is meant for anyway. So I think sure. this is a much, much more effective use of Harry Mudd. Also, you get a lot of great character moments that, I mean, are not necessary for my essential vote, but you get the great uh, Spock and McCoy exchange from the beginning of the episode. You get Kirk pretty much at his best getting mm-hmm. him getting out of a situation. We know his specialty is deactivating robots and machines. Yeah. Scotty's dramatic death scene is awesome. Yeah. I love it. And Uhura's deception, that that little piece of time where you doubt or you're questioning her integrity is great. I think it was one of her best performances of the entire series. So yeah. And I think overall this this episode, in a it compartmentalized on its own, embodies a lot of what made the original series great. Mm-hmm. So, definite essential for me. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with everything you say there, and I would go even further and say that mm-hmm. for some of those reasons, this is essential. Um, like you mentioned that Spock and McCoy interaction and the Ohora um, stuff and the Chekhov stuff and all of those character moments. And I think I've established over the course of this, uh, you know, uh, series um, that I'm big on those. And I think there's enough of those here that carry a certain amount of weight um, that really give us a little bit of insight into what the characters are capable of to um, to make this essential on top of all the other stuff that you said, you know. Um, I'm a big fan of the mud character. Um, I voted, uh, essential for the, the first appearance. So, um, yeah, if we're definitely working mud into our essential narrative, um, yeah, hands down for me, the, this is, uh, you know, this is clearly essential. All right. Fantastic. A double essential episode. And that wraps up this episode of the Tricorder Transmissions. Uh, try to catch up with us if you can on social media, on Twitter at TTT underscore pod. Uh, Facebook slash the Tricorder Transmissions or our own website, the Transmissions.com. Thanks always for listening and we'll see you next week. The casting call went out for identical twins for the iMud episode and in they came. From the agencies and from the streets, and that's exactly where our casting director, Jody Augusta, found a pair. 
right on the corner of Hollywood and Vine. By the clever use of split screens and optical effects, we were able to turn one set of twins into six. Ah, oh, the magic of television. When you think of Star Trek, comedy is not likely to be the first word that comes to mind. And yet, several of Star Trek's most liked episodes, such as A Piece of the Action and Trouble with Tribbles, were indeed comedies. Another of Star Trek's comedic entries was the episode I, Mud, featuring the return of that mischievous rogue, Harry Mud, and hundreds of androids ready to do his bidding. With a premise like that, the best thing to do is sit back and enjoy the silliness that will undoubtedly ensue.